We are Chris and Beth Bruno, and this is the Walking With Podcast. God called you to walk with people. He called us to help you. Join us for a conversation at the intersection of theology, psychology, and ministry. Each week, our goal is to replace a little bit of your overwhelm with more confidence in caring for the people you walk with. Welcome back to today's episode of the Walking With Podcast. Last week, we talked about the foundation of what we are all about here at Restoration and Restory Labs. That was story. And in this episode, we want to talk about why um, it matters for you as a ministry leader to start with your own story, uh, that you can only take people as far as you yourself have gone. So Chris, tell us a little bit about why this is so important. Well, first I want to just tell you last week when I came out of my counseling office and into the lobby, it was almost like a party out there. It was so cool. And it was because there were so many people from similar communities here, same churches, uh, same small groups that, that were all coming to do some of their own counseling work. And they just happened to overlap at the same time for their, you know, their counseling times there in the lobby. And it just felt so alive and vibrant and it was almost like the opposite of what you would think a counseling you know lobby would be like right everybody is no shame no hiding yeah and it's evidence of we have some incredible churches and ministries here locally who are committed to creating a culture of care among their leadership yeah and that is transformative to what's happening in the church and it actually has destigmatized counseling in some ways to to almost make it make it like a normal thing for everyone to go to. It is normal people with normal problems that have just gotten stuck in some way. And so we want to, uh, we want to encourage that in churches all across the country. And there, there's some of those here. And it was so fun to walk out into the lobby and to see this senior pastor meeting someone in his congregation and this small group leader knowing someone from this parachurch ministry. It was just super cool mm-hmm. to, to see. And what I, what we love about that is that those ministry leaders are taking steps to do their own work. And what I mean by that is to address and look at their own story. And last episode, we talked about the interpretations that we come to as uh, as children that have gotten locked in or hardwired into our minds and our hearts and how we engage the world. Well, these people recognize some of those things in their lives, and they also recognize that they don't want to live out of those interpretations anymore. Usually it's the, the false interpretations, the wrong interpretations that we've come to that that's where we get stuck or that's what trips us up. And so if we can address those things, especially as ministry leaders who have influence and kind of trickle down effect into congregations and ministries and uh, organizations, right? We want to make sure that we're doing our own work. The, The thing that happens is what we call here is story leakage, is that if we don't address our stories, if we don't do some of that story work, it will leak. And it will leak onto our families, it will leak onto our neighbors, it will leak onto our school communities, it will leak onto our children, it will leak onto our ministry organizations. And so it's super important for us as ministry leaders to do our own work so that we can not only not leak, 
but then we can also walk with someone uh, as they are doing some of that work as well. Yeah. So what does that look like? Like, give us a, yeah. an example of where a leader has leaked <laughs> uh, out of their own story and the team knows it or the team definitely feels it, but the leader doesn't even realize what that's coming from, what's going on. What, is, what does that look like? Well, the challenge with that question is that to tell you those stories would be to break confidentiality. So I'm not going to do that. At the same time, I bet every one of our listeners would be able to very quickly come up with a number of people that they have interacted with who have leaked onto their teams. Uh, a couple of months ago in a conversation with some ministry leaders here locally, we were talking about this very issue. and. Um, one of the things I said is that our ministry teams, if we don't do our story, our own work and address our own stories, our ministry teams will most likely become, because of that leakage, a reenactment of our childhood family. Because we are inviting people into our interpretations and then conscripting them into a story. And because we're the ministry leader, we have influence right? That is bringing people in and they will then fall into line many times with how we are influencing them. And it just becomes a reenactment of our, our family of origin, which I know a lot of ministers who don't want to reenact their family of origin. Uh, and so that's, that's where we need to do something. So um, an example of that would be uh, where everybody feels like they are walking on eggshells where in the ministry, we're not sure what's gonna happen. We feel like we can't say things, our voices are being muted or not listened to, or we feel like we have to just do everything perfectly right for that leader. That is an example that that leader has somehow leaked his story mm -hmm. onto, uh, onto the team. Or there's a team that is deeply, deeply emotionally enmeshed where uh, especially we, I see this all the time in ministry because where we know each other, we're doing things together, we're traveling together, we spend hours and hours together, we're praying together, right? We're sharing vulnerable things together. And so the team just gets deeply, deeply emotionally enmeshed without some clear boundaries or safeties or, or, or clarity around roles. And that's another example of where a ministry leader might be leaking onto the team is that he or she came from a deeply emotionally enmeshed family. Uh, and if they don't address that in their lives, it will continue to perpetuate over mm -hmm. and over and over. And usually the harm that has been done in that family of origin will be similar to the harm that happens in that ministry team. Mm -hmm. So it's vital for us to address this. Well, I remember last fall as a team, we talked about the role of attachment in team relationships. And without getting too heady, Mm -hmm. Can you describe, because this feels very connected, am I right? Mm -hmm. So describe a little bit about what a leader's attachment might be mm -hmm. and how that would be influencing how they lead and shepherd and counsel those in their care. So when you say the word attachment, that's not necessarily a common word, right? right. So I'd love to change that to connection, okay. to where we have a relational connection. And so attachment is, is formed up, again, when we're kids, we learn how to relate to other people. And uh, it's usually in answer to these two questions. Uh, the child is asking the primary parents, uh, am I worthy of your love? And can or will you give it to me? 
right? And so depending on the availability and the consistency of the parent to answer those questions, that child will form into a certain way of developing attachments or connections relationally to other people. Right. So that's one of those ways that we get formed as a child. Mm -hmm. Now, fast forward, you know, 15, 20 years. And now that child is a leader, ministry leader. They will bring that attachment into the relationship. And so there's there's four primary attachments that uh, that people talk about. And again, I won't go too in depth with it. But um, one of them is where it's it's gone well, and the parents have developed what's called a secure attachment, and they uh, the child is able to develop connections well. Mm-hmm. Um, in in the other two, they're they're more insecure. It doesn't mean that they're in insecure person, but it means that the the attachments that they form are a little instead of like a, a Golden Gate Bridge, it's more of like a rope bridge. It's a lot more insecure uh, as people are trying to cross that relational connection bridge. Okay, so. Um, um, one of them is the person is more anxious about the relationship. They're, they know that uh, they're able to offer love, but they're not sure that they're going to get it. And so they get really anxious and they do a lot of work to go after that relationship. And that'll probably be more, like I said earlier, in the enmeshed kind of category where I'm going to do whatever I can to get re- relational connection I need from you. And I'll be, I'll be thinking about it. I'll be mulling it over in my head, our conversation in our head for days afterwards. I'll be preparing for the conversation we're going to have for days ahead of time. Every conversation that I have or every interaction, I will be anxious about it. Am I okay in this relationship? Is it going to be okay? Are they going to reject me? Are they going to give me what I need? That person is more on that anxious side of things. The other side of things is more where the the child has learned I'm not going to get what I need. I'm okay in myself. I know that I'm worthy of love, but I'm not going to get what I need. And so as a result, they kind of shut down the desire and shut down hope. And one of my favorite authors in attachment stuff, they, they say it's better to be distant than disappointed. Mm-hmm. I'd rather keep my distance from you than have hope that I'll get what I need from you. And so therefore, I'm going to just be more distant. Honestly, I see this a lot in ministry leaders. I see it a lot in ministry leaders. And and some of the story, and we'll get into this later, is the story has actually created the environment for the ministry leader to be born. Because ministry is so hard, ministry is so isolating, ministry is uh, is so challenging that as, a, as someone who's more in that attachment category that would be more distant than uh, than disappointed, they do pretty well on their own they can manage through a whole ton of things without needing other people. That's hmm. what the child learned. I don't, hmm. I, don't, I don't want to need other people. I don't need other people. And so we can go into the mission field. We can go into ministry and do incredibly hard things. And on the Christian scale, look like a super Christian. Right. But in reality, we're suffering from some severe aloneness hmm. and actually avoid making relational connections with other people because we shut down the desire for it. Hmm. Sounds like that's the role of pastor primarily. A that, lot that, of that pastors. That fits really well. Yeah, hugely. Mm. And then the third category, real quickly, is is where both of those things are at play. Where um, I'm pretty anxious about things, and so I do a lot of work to get into relationship, but then it gets too close, and I'm afraid that you're going to hurt me, so then I pedal backwards. Right? And so there's this in and out and give and take and come close to me and get away from me kind of a thing um, that in ministry you can imagine it's we're going to do some awesome, amazing thing and then I'm going to fully step out of your life. And how that yo-yo can feel to either the, the staff or to people in the congregation or in the organization like, I thought you were my friend and all of a sudden you're gone. We're deep, deep, deep with you and now all of a sudden I'm out. You know, hmm. the, the ministry leader is out. And so... 
addressing your story as a ministry leader in those ways, um, finding out how you were shaped and how, uh, what attachments and connections, how you learned how to make those connections is mm-hmm. really, really important. And why the ministry context is often a reenactment of that childhood mm-hmm. uh, family of origin. Right. So if I heard you correctly, and I know the words for these, but the first you described was the anxious yep. attachment style. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then you described avoidant attachment mm-hmm. style and then ambivalent yeah. attachment style. Did you cover the fourth? The fourth is the secure. Secure, the secure which is the where, first one you described. Which is where the child has gotten the kind of, yes, you are worthy of love and yes, I will give it to you okay. uh, kind of a thing. I want that to be an A. You want that to be an A? It would fit better <laughs> if it was an A. That would be nice. Um, affirming. How about affirming? I like it. Okay. okay. Affirming attachment style. Okay. And I know that's, you know, that's heady, right? That's where this intersection of psychology and theology and ministry comes into play because that is at work. And you don't need a counseling degree to understand this is at work. Mm-hmm. What does a leader do if even listening to this, he or she has begun to identify uh, perhaps their style in something that you, that that they had never considered before. Yeah. Well, the first thing I would do is is ask that ministry leader to talk to someone about that, whether it's a spouse or a friend, uh, even a coworker, just to say, hey, I became aware of something that uh, that I might think is is true in my life. What do you think? Mm-hmm. And just ask for some honest feedback. Yeah. Um, and then secondly, I begin to look at okay, ask the question, where did this come from? Is, is this the, how did this shape up in my family of origin? Is this, is there other evidence that this is the case from where I came from? Hmm. And how would they find, how would they go about even looking for other evidence? One of my favorite things to ask people to do is to go back to childhood uh, photo albums, right? The, either the, the old school sticky ones mm-hmm. that, you know, are, are there. dating us. Stuff. Okay, sorry. Or the new ones that are online. made. Online. Okay, the online, or, you know, go back to photos, whatever. Go back to some childhood photos. And um, look at a progression of your face. Watch your face from third grade Hmm. to fourth grade to fifth grade and begin to wonder what is going on in the life of that child and see if there's evidence on your face. Hmm. And that is both deeply, deeply um, uh, informative. Mm -hmm. Uh, It can be really, really hard, right? And at the same time, it is so, so helpful to begin to name actually what happened there. Like Mm. I said last episode, we can't begin to change the things that we haven't named. And a lot of times we just want to put the past behind us. I don't want to drudge up all that old stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if it's still affecting us today, you know, we do need to, we do need to address it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One other thing I want to say about uh, attachment stuff, and particularly from a theological perspective, is that um, think about attachment with God. And think about our attachment to God and God's attachment to us. And that, in my mind, the whole of the gospel is all about broken attachment. It is about the disconnection that we as humans have with God and his pursuit of reestablishing a secure attachment with us. And so, you know, yes, it's psychology, but it's also deeply theological. Hmm. And understanding the adoption of God is to bring us back into a secure attachment Hmm. with him. Which, again, not to, like, force or overuse our word of restory, but that is what we're talking about. That's what it is. Yes. So beautiful. Well, I think this is really helpful for leaders to understand that it starts with you. And if you want to walk with your people in a deeper way, you need to 
attend to yourself first. And so I hope that was helpful. Next episode, we're going to be talking about why is story important in your role of pastoral counseling or walking with whatever you want to call it. So stay tuned next week, same time, same place. Don't forget to head over to restorylabs.com forward slash episode one to download your copy of the story framework, a quick and easy reference guide and see all the other things that we have for you over there. 